The sermon text for today is Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 1524. Listen as I read God's word. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus prays in a solitary place. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Here ends the reading. Good morning, everyone. We are continuing in our series in the book of Mark. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John, and I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. And as we have been saying each week, uh, we've been providing these for you. Uh, This is a Mark Bible journal, and we've given these to you. There's a whole bunch of these out at the connections table, so if you didn't already get one of these, please go ahead and grab one of those sometime this morning. Uh, We just provide this for you as a tool to help you track along with us and provide it as a tool for you to uh, spend time in the book of Mark with us over the course of these next number of months as we are in this series. One of the things we've been doing also throughout the series is we have been having time where we have been sort of opening up the floor and wanting to hear from you how God is using the book of Mark in your life as you're reading it. And so there's a handful of questions that we have sort of just put out there to help stir your thinking uh, what's capturing your attention as you're reading the book of Mark? What, is, uh, what are you seeing for the first time or seeing in fresh ways? What are you reading that's leading you to delight in God based on what you're reading? Uh, how is God changing you? And so we want to hear from you. And so we're going to just have a couple moments right now where I'm going to just walk around with the mic. And as always, unlike the annual meeting, I will not pass off the mic to you. I will hold the mic. And uh, we just invite you uh, to take in two minutes or less to share something that God is teaching you, something you're seeing uh, in the book of Mark. And then we will uh, head into the sermon portion of our time here today. But does anyone want to share? morning all. I missed it last Sunday, um, but one thing that has captured so far where we are is the uh, amount of demons that Jesus had to deal with. Uh, that is one of the first things that he did, and then he continues on this one today also. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it's something that it uh, comes to mind, so maybe you can give us a little. <laughs> maybe I can share the answers. Yes. <laughs> Uh, We will talk about that more specifically in a different text. I'm not going to go into that quite today, uh, but that is on my mind too. As we read 
the book of Mark, and we see Jesus casting out demons and unclean spirits, and you're just like, okay, uh, what does that look like today, if at all? And so that's a great question. Great observation. Yeah. Someone else? Uh, I've been noticing over and over again how Jesus loves and saves sinners throughout the Gospel of Mark, and it's been making me ask the question of myself, how much am I doing to follow Jesus in that, and am I loving and saving sinners in my life? Am I reaching out to people? Am I caring for people that I might not actually like? And it's been slightly convicting. I I do like you, Sophie. One more. Jordan. This happened about, what, two weeks ago when I were talking on Mark. I think it was chapter one, actually. Uh, verse 25, where he said, be quiet, come out of him. And I was kind of wondering, like, right after that, he was saying um, he didn't let the spirits or the demons talk at all. And I was like, oh, why did they do that? But then, like, five minutes later, he said, oh, it's so that the demons didn't have power over him by trying to say his name out loud. I was like, oh, clicked in, like, two seconds. (laughs) There's another layer to that that we'll get to later when Jesus tells people, hey, I healed you, don't uh, don't talk. (laughs) That's a whole other one of those, like, well, why does Jesus do that? So, uh, one more. Jen, I see your hand back there. Yeah, along that question about um, how, w- how we are affected by demons, demonic activities, that's, uh, it's a spiritual realm. But question is that how uh, demonic activities and then sicknesses, diseases are related. Mm-hmm. Or, or are they separate? Mm-hmm. Are they separate? So sometimes that distinction is not that clear, but... Uh, well, some people are more, more of an um, uh, expert on that subject, you know, how they are related, how they are separate, diseases and uh, demonic activities. Mm-hmm. So I think I think like to hear about some views on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another one of those. Man, you guys are just bringing up all the... <laughs> Boy, all the things... I guess I know what I need to talk about in the next number of weeks here. <laughs> Thanks again to all of you who have the courage to, to share. Let's, uh, as we come to this passage, I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. 
the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Lord, this morning as we come to this passage, uh, we are so grateful for the invitation to come into your presence through prayer. Lord, with the psalmist, we agree that one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. So Jesus, teach us this morning as we look at this passage that tells us about how you retreated to pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring uh, the right application of this to each and every one of us, bring the right challenge or the right conviction or the right uh, encouragement for those of us who need it. Uh, We desire to sit under the authority of your word, oh God, and we desire to be changed by it. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to be present among us in a unique way towards that end. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all got things that we like to do at the end of a long day. So if I'm physically exhausted, if I've had lots of meetings or have done lots of like heavy brain work or I'm, you know, writing content or like reading lots of books or things like this, uh, if I'm physically exhausted and my brain is just done for the day, what I like to do is grab a snack and sit down and watch a show. It's typically what I like to do. Uh, there's a show I've been watching. I found out that Amazon Prime has a whole channel that just constantly plays replays of modern marvels. If you've ever heard of this show, uh, it, it's over 30 years worth of shows that they have in this queue. So it just plays constantly. And I kind of like to think about this uh, show is mind-numbingly informative, (laughs) where, you know, after a long day, like, my brain is just done thinking, I'm done doing all the things, and so I just need space to, like, just kind of decompress, and that's one of the ways that I like to do that. Uh, For some of you, that might be curling up with a good book. For some of you, it might be things like sitting down to connect with your spouse or with your kids. Uh, For some of you, it might be things like taking a hot shower or bath or watching a movie or consuming your favorite snack or beverage or just falling into bed early. And if your schedule and if your family life allows you to just sleep in in the morning. For some of you, that's how you would deal with kind of the stress of a long day. This morning, we are looking at a passage that tells us about the tail end of what was no doubt an exhausting day in the life of Jesus. I mentioned this kind of just in passing last week, but Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21 all the way through verse 39, tells us about the events that took place in one day. Now, I'm a, I like visuals, and so here's a visual representation of this, okay? So the events of chapter 1 took place over the course of a weekend, where there's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and in the Jewish world, uh, the Sabbath, as you can see there, was from sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday, And if you sort of just place these events within that timeline, you see that it was early in the morning on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, when Jesus went into the synagogue and he was teaching and he's, you know, casting out this unclean spirit. And then you see later in the day, they leave the synagogue and they go back to Peter's house and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then after sunset, after the Sabbath ended and people's travel restrictions uh, were lifted, all the people began to come to Jesus. And so you've got all these crowds that are uh, pressing in around him. And it talks about him healing all kinds of people and casting out all kinds of demons. And you know that Jesus and that ministry went late into the night. 
they couldn't even come until after sunset. And so after being in the synagogue and, and being in Peter's house and then being around all these people who are needy, who are looking to Jesus to provide something for them, and as he's giving and giving and giving and giving, the text tells us that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left to pray. So at the end of this long, exhausting day, Jesus doesn't fall into bed and sleep in as late as he can. He gets up in the middle of the night. The word that's translated here when it says he woke up uh, very early in the morning while it was still dark, that's a technical term that's referring to the time frame between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Right? That's a very early time to get up, especially after a long day like that. But let me just uh, put your mind at ease here. The application today is not going to be, y'all need to get up at 3 a.m. and pray. Okay? Just, just going to put that out there. You can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not going to ask you to do that. If the Lord asks you to do that, great. Be obedient. But this morning, I'm not going to do that. Okay? So this is uh, life in the, a day in the life of Jesus' ministry. We're looking at this part where he prays. And I think that this is, this is such an important part of this text. It's such an important part of this section of the book of Mark. And so the way I want to sort of approach this today is just to kind of explore two questions with you. The first question, why did Jesus retreat to pray? And the second question being, how do we know it's time for us to retreat and pray? Okay, so that first question, why did Jesus retreat to pray? If you were to read the other accounts of Jesus' life and ministry in the book of Matthew or the book of Luke or John, you would see that Jesus prays often, as you would expect the Son of God to do. Jesus prays often. He has a robust personal prayer life as well as a uh, a life of prayer that uh, goes into his ministry as well. So Jesus prays often, but in the book of Mark, there are only three times where it tells us about Jesus praying. And you think, well, that's interesting. Certainly Jesus prayed a lot more than that, which leads us to, to believe that Mark is including these particular moments of Jesus praying strategically for a purpose. And so we see Jesus retreats to pray, in Mark chapter 1, right here, where he experiences ministry success. People are crowding around him. His name is spreading. He's becoming more popular, and Jesus retreats to pray. The second time Jesus retreats to pray in the book of Mark is in chapter 6, when Jesus explicitly revealed his divine identity to his disciples. So in chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which is his way of saying, I am the God who provided manna, to the people in the wilderness. And then immediately after Jesus prays, he goes walking on the water and it said he was going to pass by his disciples. And the word that's translated pass by is the same word from the book of Exodus where it says that God hid Moses in the cleft of a rock so that he could pass by him and so that Moses could see a glimpse of his glory. And so in chapter 6, Jesus is explicitly revealing his divine identity to his disciples and in the midst of that, he retreats to pray. And then lastly, Jesus, excuse me, in chapter 14, Jesus retreats to pray when he is about to be handed over and executed. And so what ties all of these instances together is that all three of these take place at night, and all three of them take place at critical, pivotal moments in Jesus' ministry. And the question that comes into my mind is, Why in the world is this a critical, pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry? This looks like Jesus Jesus is experiencing an incredible amount of ministry success. 
right? The people are saying, uh, they're praising him because of his teaching and because of his authority. And they're bringing people to him and people's lives are being changed and people are really being helped. And his name is spreading and the people are flocking to him and, and, and the crowds are sort of uh, just gathering to him. And you're like, well, why is this a critical, pivotal moment in Jesus's ministry? I want to suggest this morning that the success and the popularity that Jesus experienced, that is precisely what made this a critical moment in his ministry. What will Jesus do with success? What will Jesus do with popularity? What will Jesus do when the crowds are pressing in around him, when the people are just fawning over him and just kind of falling all over themselves to get in Jesus' presence? What will he do with that? Because what Jesus does at this point in his ministry sets the trajectory for the rest of his ministry. And so what will Jesus do when he experiences ministry success? Jesus here, we're told he retreats to pray. Why did Jesus retreat to pray? I believe that Jesus retreated to pray. Jesus prayed in order to counteract the gravitational pull of human affirmation. Jesus retreated off to a wilderness place by himself in order to counteract, in order to push back against the gravitational pull or the influence of human affirmation. You see, Jesus here, he's caught between competing voices, isn't he? You've got the voice of the crowd that is speaking to Jesus saying, we have never seen anything like this. The teaching and the authority, we've never seen anything like this man before. And you have the voice of the Father, which has said over Jesus, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And so you've got these competing voices. And Jesus retreated to pray because Jesus knew if he did not retreat to pray, his heart would begin to love the voice of the crowd rather than the voice of the Father. And so Jesus knew that he had to retreat and he had to pray. Now, of course, we are not given, we're not given the content of Jesus' prayer, we're not told exactly what Jesus said while he was out there, but given the fact that Jesus retreats in the face of the popularity, in the, in the face of the success, given that Jesus retreats to pray in the face of that, what else could he be doing except going into the presence of the Father and rehearsing his identity as a beloved son? What else could make Jesus, in the face of such ministry success, What else could make him turn to his disciples who come eagerly looking to find him, saying, everyone's looking for you. You know, there's more work to be done. You know, let's let's capture on the momentum. Let's keep it going here, Jesus. What else could make Jesus turn to his disciples in that moment of success and popularity and say, let's go somewhere else? The only thing that could lead Jesus to say that is that his identity was so firmly rooted in who, in what God had pronounced over him. Because it makes no earthly human sense for Jesus in the face of all the success. He's looking to start a global, worldwide movement to save people, and Jesus actively resists popularity. It doesn't make any sense, except for the fact that Jesus' identity was so firmly rooted in who God declared him to be that he didn't need the success. 
He didn't need the voice of the crowd. He didn't need the people. And in fact, he went to pray because there was a gravitational pull on his heart to love the voice of the crowd rather than the voice of the Father. And so Jesus retreated to pray specifically for that purpose. And I think here's what Mark wants us to see here. Everything Jesus did was fueled by life in God's presence. Everything Jesus did was fueled, was motivated, was empowered by life in the presence of the Father. We've already seen earlier in the book of Mark that Jesus lived from his identity, not for it. And here we see something almost identical, but from a slightly different angle, where Jesus did everything he did. Every aspect of his life and his ministry was fueled by life in God's presence. And I believe that this is giving us a pattern for us to follow. If we are followers of Jesus, if we are his apprentices, if we are apprenticing our lives to him and following the way of Jesus, these events of Jesus retreating to pray do not just give us cool historical information about what Jesus did. What this is is a pattern for us to follow. This is an invitation to experience the same kind of thing that Jesus experienced. And so the point for us is that if Jesus, if it was true for Jesus, it's true for us that everything we do must be fueled by life in God's presence. Everything we do must be fueled by life in God's presence. The only way to sustain a life of doing things for God is to cultivate an inner life with God. Do you know that the average tree, its roots go out two times as far as how wide its canopy is. Some of you are smarter than me and you knew that already, (laughs) but I had to be told this, that the roots of a tree don't just go out as far as, you know, I thought it was as far as the, the branches went, but it's actually two times further than that. And that's the kind of support that's needed to sustain the life of a tree. In the exact same way, cultivating a life An inner life of being with God is what we need. That creates the root system for us to sustain a life of pouring ourselves out to love and serve others in worship of God. That's the only thing that can sustain that kind of life. And so everything we do must be fueled by life in God's presence. And part of how we do that is we cultivate this life lived in God's presence by retreating to pray. That's not the only thing, but it's one of the things we do in order to cultivate this life of living in God's presence. And so the question then is, okay, how do we know it's time for us to retreat and pray? There's no one-size-fits-all answer to this. There's no one method or one specific day or time or anything else. So so I'm not going to try and provide that for you here today. I just want to ask the question, how do we know it's time for us to retreat and pray? Because if there were critical moments in Jesus' life where he needed to retreat and pray, how much more so is that true of us? If the Son of God needed to take moments and go away and retreat and sit in the presence of the Father, how much more is that true of us? And so how do we know it's time for us to retreat and pray? Like we see Jesus doing here. Uh, let me give you just a couple indicators. These are interconnected with one another. And I want us to think of these indicators like uh, the lights that would come on on your dashboard in your car. Uh, So if you see your check engine lights, if you see your 
uh, maintenance light, if you see your oil change light, if you see your, you know, fuel, you know, your, your fuel is low light, your pressure in your tires is getting low. Anytime you see those lights on your dashboard that f- sort of flicker and blink at you, those are telling you, you need to slow down and pay attention. <laughs> you need to slow down and do some maintenance on your vehicle here or else things are going to fall apart. And so think of these as sort of indicators that it's time for us to stop and retreat into the presence of God to pray. So how do we know it's time for us to retreat and pray? Well, our circumstances will tell us. Our circumstances will tell us when it's time to retreat and pray. You may find yourself in a situation where you are experiencing a significant life transition or you have a significant life decision that you have to make. Maybe you are moving from a one job to a different job or to a different company. Maybe you're making a transition out of your current field of work into a completely different field of work altogether. Maybe you are uh, thinking about moving to a different neighborhood or a different part of the state or a different state altogether. Huge life decision like that. Uh, maybe you find yourself at sort of a, a life crossroads, one of those transition moments. You know, you have those when you go from elementary school to middle school. It's a big deal. When you go from middle school to high school, when you go from high school to college, when you go from college to being out in the real world on your own, uh, when you enter the season of retirement, those are huge life milestones. Maybe you have children who are progressing through certain milestones and you're like, okay, now my kids are teenagers. What do I do, (laughs) right? Uh, So there's those big life uh, transitions, big life decisions. And those are like indicators that are saying it's time to slow down and to pray. It also might be unexpected life circumstances that take you by surprise. It may be death. It may be an accident. It may be some sort of medical diagnosis. It might be a change in your income, change in your employment that you didn't ask for. It might be a change in your relationships or a change in your marital status or anything like that. All of those life circumstances, those are like indicators on the dashboard saying it's time to slow down and pray. It's time to retreat into the presence of God and simply sit with him in prayer. So our circumstances will tell us when it is time to retreat and pray, and so will our emotions. Our emotions will tell us when it is time to retreat and pray. Now, I think we all know that there are two ditches we can fall into when we talk about emotions. Okay? For some people, emotions are everything. And they are, their emotions are in the driver's seat of their life. There are other people for whom it's true that emotions are nothing. You stuff them, you suppress them. They're not to be, you know, seen or heard. <laughs> They're just, you know, or, or to be viewed with a kind of suspicion. You should always be suspicious of your emotions because, you know, whatever. I think we can all know that both of those extremes are like really unhelpful. Okay, can we all agree on that? <laughs> Uh, But two things can be true at the same time. We must never be ruled or mastered by our emotions, and also we are fools to ignore them. Both of those things are true. God has designed your body. It is a part of God's good design for your body that you feel things. And so to completely ignore those or to always look at them with suspicion, to always sort of stuff them or suppress them, that is a foolish way to think about or to deal with your emotions. Our emotions are given to us by God and they are one of those indicators 
that it is time to retreat and pray. So are you tired? Are you weary? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel like you're sort of living on the edge of burnout? Do you feel like you are carrying with you a weight on your shoulders that you may not even be able to describe or identify what it is, but you just feel a heaviness on you? Are you angry? Are you irritable? Are you discouraged? Are you sad? Are you frustrated? Are you scared? Are you anxious? Are you apathetic? All of those emotions that we feel are indicators to us that it is time to stop and sit in the presence of God and pray. Uh, Let me tell you about a time I had where where I did this recently. Uh, Last October, I realized during the week where I had to write the letter to our church family saying that Matt is officially being sent out to plant a church. And then I had to stand up there that Sunday and like actually tell you all that in person and read that letter. And that week was uh, kind of a bad week for me for a lot of different reasons. But it was one of those weeks where I, I, I had this realization of, I have so many unprocessed and unprayed emotions right now. It's like, I feel, uh, I feel really sad that someone who's my friend and my ministry partner is going to a different ministry and our relationship is just going to change. It's just going to be different. It's not bad. It's just going to be different. And I don't want that. Uh, I feel anxious about the future and what, what's that going to mean for Elmwood and, and what's that going to mean for my job and my workload and all of that stuff. So I'm like, I feel anxious. I feel scared. I feel fearful, you know, and then I, I start trying to do some self-reflection and say, okay, well, why do I, you know, why do I feel this way? And why do I feel that way? And in the process of doing that, come to realize, oh, you know, when you pull back the layers of the onion and all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah. And I'm kind of angry about this thing in my life. And I'm sort of frustrated about this. And I'm disappointed about this in my life. And this isn't going the way that I want it to go right now. And all of a sudden I'm just this sort of giant ball of like emotional distress. And what do you do in that moment? When your emotions, when all those things that you're thinking and feeling, what do you do with those things? The unhealthy thing to do is to just stuff them and suppress them and move on as if they don't exist. I had someone, uh, you know, we're a part of the free church, for those of you who don't know. And I uh, talked with someone that many of you know, Dan Moose. And he asked me how I was doing. And I, you know, spent about 10 minutes telling him how I was feeling and what was going on. And he said, uh, so we're a part of the free church, so I can't command you to do anything. But what I'm telling you to do right now, in as strongly terms as I can tell you, is you need to go away for three days and just sit in the presence of God and deal with all of this. And so I, uh, we, our family found a way for me to get away. I went to the wilderness fellowship prayer cabins, and I sat there in the presence of God in the wilderness Uh, for about three days. And part of it was great and part of it was miserable, if I'm honest with you. And that was a time where I was able to have uninterrupted time to do a couple different things. Uh, Number one, just sort of own the emotions that I was feeling. Okay? Uh, Just to be able to to sit in the presence of God and say, yes, God, this is, yeah, this is how I'm feeling right now. I'm not afraid to tell God that like, oh, I'm frustrated about this or I'm sad about this or I'm grieving this or I'm angry about this. No, I need to tell God those things. So it gave me an opportunity to, in a, you know unhurried, extended way, just own the emotions that I was feeling. But secondly, 
to look to scripture and to see what is actually true about who God is. Okay, we all know this to be true. Our emotions are real, and yet our emotions are not always, they don't always do the best job of indicating to us what's actually true, right? So have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you've had a dream where maybe your spouse or someone close to you has done something really boneheaded and hurtful to you, and you're literally in the middle of the night, you're angry at them, okay? So that emotion is real, (laughs) but that emotion is not reliable. It's not a reliable indicator of what's actually true because the person who's sleeping next to you was sleeping, not doing the thing that you thought they were doing, right? Right? So our emotions are, are real, but they're not always a reliable indicator of what is actually true. And so we look to the pages of Scripture, and, and, and you look at the Psalms, and you see this all the time where the psalmist says, God, where are you? What are you doing? I feel like you've left me. I feel like you've abandoned me. My enemies are surrounding me. And almost all the time, it always comes back to, and yet I will trust in your unfailing love. You see, our emotions and our circumstances and what Scripture says to be true about who God is, you know, Jesus experienced the, the, you know, the, the, the pull of those two voices. Do you listen to the voice of the crowd or do you listen to the voice of the Father? We have the choice. Do you listen to the voice of your emotions and your circumstances? Or do you listen to the voice of the Father? Do you listen to the voice of your circumstances which says, you are not lovely, you are not lovable, God has abandoned you, God doesn't care about you, God has forgotten about you. Do you listen to those emotions? Do you listen to those circumstances? Or do you listen to what Scripture says is true? Because Scripture is true. My emotions are not true, right? My emotions are real, but my emotions are not reliable. As reliable as maybe I would want them to be, or some people think they are. So I was able to take this time to own those emotions, look to Scripture, see what's true about who God is, and then lastly, having done that, simply open my hands, let go, and entrust it to him. And say, okay, this doesn't make any sense to me. This doesn't fix all of the things that I'm feeling necessarily. It's not like, oh, wow, I'm glad that I did that, and now just instantly I feel better. No, I have to go back into my real life and actually live that real life. But I do so having seen who God is and having released those things, having laid down my arms, as it were, and said, okay, God, I know who you are, and so I can trust you. And so for me, in that particular situation, because of how big that was, I spent three days in the woods, by myself. Uh, But I want to just encourage you today, Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus went away for like a few hours at most. Okay, so if if you're like, man, I could never go be alone in the woods for that long, or I don't have time to do this or whatever, be encouraged. Jesus doesn't do this like unreasonable, hey, I went on like this two-week prayer retreat, and now y'all have to try and figure out a way to do it. Jesus went away for a few hours and spent time in the Father, but he did it regularly. And it was him spending that regular time in the presence of the Father. That is what fueled his life and ministry. And that is the same exact thing that ought to fuel our lives in our ministry as well. Friends, the good news is that through Jesus, we have access to come boldly into the presence of the Father. The good news is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we have access as beloved sons and daughters to come into the presence of the Father. And there's no, we don't have to like prepare anything. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to make ourselves presentable. 
No, we simply come into the presence of the Father as we are, and that is exactly how we are invited to come. God doesn't say, change yourself and then come be in my presence. He says, come in my presence, and as you do, you'll be changed, all right? But you're not doing the changing. It's when you sit in the presence of God, that's how you're changed. And so this invitation we see to come boldly into the presence of the Father is because of what Jesus has done for us. And we have confidence to come into the presence of God not only because of what Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he died and he gave his life in place of ours. And what that did was that opened up a way for us to have access to God's presence once again. We'll see this later in chapter 15 as Jesus dies. The temple curtain that separated the most holy place where God's presence dwelled, that curtain was torn in two when Jesus died. And the point is that the barrier that kept you out of the presence of God has now been eliminated. And now you have been given access to come into the presence of the Father. And so it's not only because of what Jesus did, it's also because of what Jesus is right now in this moment doing. Do you know that the risen and ascended ruling and reigning Jesus is interceding for you and for me and for us right now? And so because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus is doing, we have been given access to come boldly into the presence of God. And this is a gift that I don't want to waste. I don't want to squander that gift. Uh, Let me just leave you with this, Uh, just by way of application. One thing very uh, broad, one thing very specific. The generic application that I wanted to suggest to you this morning is uh, we've created a portion of our website, elmwoodchurch.org slash prayer dash resources. Uh, you can type that in your web browser. You can uh, click on the link that's in the weekly ministry email. You can scan the QR code. And we've put together a handful of resources that we think are helpful for you. There's book recommendations. There's videos. Uh, we want to do everything we can to provide resources for you so that you know how to cultivate a life of being in the presence of God through prayer. And so we put that resource out there. There'll be more resources to come, but we just want to suggest that and say, please go look at that. Uh, Take a look, use those resources. Uh, We'd be happy for you to do that. Uh, The second thing that's more specific is is this. Uh, My sense is that there are some of you in the room who know that you need to take time and go sit in the presence of God. And maybe for whatever reason you, you know, maybe you're feeling that for the first time right now. Or maybe you've been feeling that for a long time and you've been resisting that. Or you are sort of a giant ball of emotions about things that are happening in your life and you feel overwhelmed and you feel stuck and you don't know what to do. Friends, whether you're here in person or watching online... There are some of you who know that you need to take time and go sit in the presence of God. And so my encouragement to you this morning is if you are feeling that way, uh, number one, please do not leave here without resolving to do it. Don't leave here today without resolving to actually take time and go do that. It may be 30 minutes. It may be one hour. It may be longer than that. Whatever time you have, resolve that you will listen to the voice of the Spirit and, and be obedient to go sit in the presence of God. Uh, Secondly, would you tell me? uh, You can send me a text message. You can send me an email. You can talk to me in person. uh, And the reason I ask you to tell me is, number one, just so that I can know that it's happening. 
so that I can pray for you. I don't need you to share all the specific details unless you want to share them with me. Uh, I don't need you to share all those, but I just, I want to know that it's happening. I want to know how to follow up with you. Uh, I want to pray for you during that time, and I want to be a resource for you. I'm by no means like an expert in all of this, but I've done this enough times to have a sense of like, okay, here, here's what I found to be helpful. And so if you're saying, you know, I, I, I want to do this, but I have no idea where to start. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I don't have any idea where I'm supposed to go. I don't even know where to start. I would love to help you. I'd love just to, to have a brief conversation and just help sort of provide some coaching or some resources to help you in that. So if you're here today and you are sensing God saying, you need to retreat for a time and pray, please resolve to do that and then come find me and let's just talk about that together, okay? As we come to the communion table today, uh, we are reminded once again that through the work of Christ, we have been given access to the Father. Because Jesus was forsaken, because Jesus was cast out, we have been given the gift and the privilege of being able to be brought near into the presence of God once again. And so as you come forward today and as you receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, I want to just encourage you to, uh, it, you know, it, as, you, as you listen to the, the voice of your circumstances and the voice of your emotions, let the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus be the conclusive definitive voice of what is true in your life today. No matter what you're facing, no matter what your relationships look like, no matter what anything else looks like, what is true about you is that you are a beloved son and daughter of God. You are dearly loved. He is well pleased with you and he has given you his son. And so be encouraged and be strengthened by that today. Uh, as we come to the communion table, let's take a few moments of silent confession and reflection and then we'll come uh, celebrate Christ together.